0: Spiritual Fitness. Hey, they got my picture there. I got weights like that at home (laughs) I lifted weights when I was in high school and uh, After I got out of high school uh, Had some friends that come over and lifted weights and one of them was a big Irish kid and uh, Michael McGill was his name and uh, He was big and he was strong But he didn't know how strong he was so he'd be lifting weights and and I was his coach so he used to call me coach and he'd be lifting weights. Oh, I can't do anymore. Yes, you can! I'd yell at him, push that up! And he'd push it up. He says, uh, so he was going to go into his senior year of high school that year. And it was a new high school for him. He says, you know, <clears throat> it was new for me, he said. So, you know, I didn't know too many people. And he says he tried out for the football team. <clears throat> he says, guys were bouncing off of me. <laughs> he says, this one guy came up and... Ran as hard as he could, hit him in the chest, and just bounced off of him. But then he said, you know what? I didn't feel comfortable because I didn't know anybody. And he says, I told the coach, you know, I really don't want to play football. And the coach was already bald, so he couldn't pull his hair out anymore. And he he said the coach was screaming, "I, I can't believe it. We could win the city championships with this kid. And he was, the coach was so disappointed because Michael McGill was so strong. So one day, we're out front of the school where we went to school, and uh, uh, we no longer went to the school, but we're playing touch football in the street. And so I go to block Michael McGill, and he just takes his arm, and he goes, <coughs> boom, and he hits me with his arm right in the shoulder. And I went flying about 5, 10 feet. <laughs> and he goes, oh, oh sorry, Joe. <laughs> it's like he was afraid of me because I used to yell at him. <laughs> <laughs> praise God. I was going to bring some weights as part of my illustrated sermon, but I completely forgot. I woke up this morning at 4 o'clock to finish up. And uh, so praise God. So you're missing out on the uh, props and everything. But I have an Olympic weight set like that at home, two 45-pound plates. I can deadlift it about 10 times. But it's been sitting there gathering dust for quite some time because I haven't disciplined myself to go and actually lift weights. I uh, do a lot of physical activity at work, so hopefully that counts. So if you have your Bibles with me, or with you, turn with me to the first letter of Timothy, chapter 4 and verse 8. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says, bodily exercise profits a little but godliness is profitable for all things having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come let's pray heavenly father in Jesus name God open your words to us God help us to receive from you this morning God anoint me as I preach and teach God that the hearers God will be edified and built up and strengthened in the holy name of Jesus our Lord amen Timothy at this point in time is in the city of Ephesus does anybody know where Ephesus is it's in modern-day eastern southeastern Turkey Ephesus is still there the amphitheater that the Romans built is still there <coughs> Hopefully Christians are there still but Ephesus if you want to Kind of think about what Ephesus was like. It's probably like Las Vegas It was a wild place They worshiped this statue of Diana of the of Ephesus that supposedly fell out of the sky And it was a strange, strange cult. And so Timothy's there. How many remember in the book of Acts? Paul goes there, has all kinds of things going on. And a man named Apollos comes from Alexandria in Egypt. He's learned in the scripture, and the Bible says he powerfully refutes the Jews, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So Apollos is there, but he doesn't know anything about the New Covenant. He just knows the old scriptures from the Old Testament. And uh, Priscilla and Aquila, they take him in and they explain to him more fully um, the way of salvation. And then Paul sends Timothy there. Timothy, at this point in time, is an evangelist. He's probably in his 30s. And this is... One of three letters that Paul wrote, they're personal letters, and they're called the pastoral letters. First and Second Timothy and Titus. And these are letters to pastors that he wrote. And, and it's not got a lot of, uh, you know, doctrine and everything in it. They're not like a, a, um, a well-laid-out thesis like Romans and Galatians. And he's not, at this point in time, having to deal with the Judaizers, where he had to, in other cities where the jews would come in and say oh you know you you have to be circumcised in order to be saved and and other things like that you have to follow the law in order to be saved and uh, so paul's not having to deal with that he's dealing with other heresies and he t- and he gives uh, timothy instructions here and the theme of this letter is that the gospel leads to practical visible change in believers lives how many know and how many have experienced that Jesus can change your life I was walking one way God got a hold of me and I'm walking a different way Thanksgiving Day 1981 in Flagstaff Arizona in somebody's living room I knelt down and I said a simple prayer said Jesus be the Lord of my life and my life changed and it hasn't been the same since it's been an adventure to say the least hallelujah and so, Paul is dealing with truth versus false teaching. He mentions a couple of guys in his letter. He says, uh, You know what? I've turned them over to Satan. That's how bad these guys have got off track. I says, Just let them go. Let God deal with them. Let uh, whatever happens, happens to them. And so, here's Timothy, and he's working. He's a young pastor there. He's an evangelist. He's teaching and preaching, and in his personal letter, Paul makes this statement here: "Bodily exercise profits a little." How many know that that's true? Bodily exercise profits a little. As you exercise uh, in your brain, uh, there are chemicals released called endorphins. They're feel-good chemicals, just like James Brown because he's got something going on. How many know, believe God, we've got something good going on because we've got Jesus. Hallelujah. We've got the Holy Ghost inside of us. Hallelujah. Living is life through us. It's exciting to live for God. Don't let anybody ever tell you and don't ever let the, anyone think that living for God is boring. Oh, man, you can't have any fun. Fun? You call that fun? Man, if you could look down the road and see the consequences of sin, you would not call it fun. You would say, Whoa, is me. Oh my God, what am I doing? I got to get out of here. I left, I was telling uh, uh, Chip, I left New York City because I was about to get in a lot of trouble. One of the people I started hanging around with, his older brother, was. Uh, in a a very bad organization, which name I'm not going to (coughs) mention, but um, they're very bad, (laughs) to say the least. Every new friend I was meeting through this friend, so-called friend, was either just getting out of jail or getting ready to be sentenced. And I thought, hmm, uh, this is not good. (laughs) So (laughs) I had already come out to Arizona uh, for a visit one time uh, back in 1977. And uh, or 79, <clears throat> and then not back in 1981, God brought me back out and saved me and set my feet on a different path. Hallelujah! So, bodily exercise. I want you to take a note of this word exercise in the Greek, it's the word gymnasia, which we get the word gymnasium from. Duh. I like Greek. It's pretty, you know, straightforward. Gymnasium. That's not somebody's name. As uh, I saw many years ago on, uh, what was the name of that show with the dog and the, uh, Mr. Peabody. (laughs) He was explaining how we got the name Gymnasium. Haven't you ever heard of Gymnasium? Well, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about. Gymnastic exercises. This is talking about physical activity, strength training, if you will. And uh, so, in, if you think about it, in First Corinthians chapter nine, verse twenty-seven, Paul the apostle writes, and he says, "I discipline my body and bring it into subjection." In other words, he's controlling himself. He's saying, like like this morning. <laughs> God woke me up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I felt like, well, the alarm doesn't go off until 5.21, and I can hit the snooze button for nine minutes, and it'll be 5.30 that I can wake up. I thought, you know, God's been waking me up a lot in the middle of the night, and uh, I ought to pay attention. Can you say amen? Anybody have that happen to you? God wake you up. I had an awful dream, and it woke me up, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to go in my prayer room. <laughs> this, is, this dream was really not a good dream. I'm going to go in my prayer room and I'm going to study and I'm going to discipline my life and say, you know what? That's it. I'm tired of rolling over and hitting this news button. I'm not doing that. I'm going to get up and I'm going to make my body and my mind do what I want it to do. And that is serve God. So um, Paul was also writing because there was uh, this group called the ascetics. Ascetic? I guess that's how you pronounce it. And it's someone who renounced social life and comfort for solitude, self-mortification. What a horrible word, mortification. You know what that means? means you're dead. We're mortified. We're mortified. <laughs> Self-mortification, in other words, denying of yourself to an extreme religious devotion. An ascetic uh, can also be a hermit or recluse. How many know you cannot do much for God if you hang out all by yourself? You could be a committee of one. Hey, I got a fresh battery. Hallelujah. So the ascetics, how many know you can't, you you can be a committee of one, but it doesn't do any good if you don't reach out to somebody else. As a church, we're stronger as a group. When we go out, um, you know, for any activity, it's helpful if there's more than one person. But a hermit or a recluse, you're a person like that is all by themselves. They're lonely They're not talking to anybody but God. And you can't do much for God in that situation. The funny thing is that this word ascetic, or an ascetic, a person who renounces social life and comfort, comes from a word meaning athletic. But it also means someone who practices self-denial. It also could describe a monk, but it literally means to exercise. To be ascetic means to exercise. Excuse me. But we want to exercise in a situation where we can influence other people. How many have ever seen these uh, people that they call themselves an influencer? I'm an influencer. I'm an internet influencer. So I was watching this one uh, young lady. She's so upset because her and her boyfriend were influencers, and they wanted this hotel somewhere to give them a freebie. So this guy gets on, and he says, well, think about this. If you're the hotel manager uh, and you give out freebies to people, uh, how are you going to pay your staff? How are you going to pay for the bills? If everyone comes, you know, and says, uh, well, you know, we'll give you a good review if you give us a freebie. So how about if you pay for it and you get some value out of it, and then you can give us a good review? That way we have some income, and you just don't get a freebie. (laughs) Praise God. And we want to influence people for the kingdom of heaven. One of the ways you can influence things is by registering to vote and vote. It should be your civic duty to vote. I told my oldest granddaughter when she became a voting age, I said, well, let's go vote. And she said, no, I don't want to. And I said, oh, really, think about this. Think about how many people gave up their lives so that you could have the right to vote. Oh, Grandpa, you're making me feel guilty. I sure am. Let's go vote. okay. (laughs) Praise God. Hallelujah. So Jesus said, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24 25 and 26 which is also in Mark chapter 8 verse 34 and Luke chapter 9 verse 36 Peter gets a revelation who do men say I am who do you say I am Jesus says oh Peter says to Jesus you're the Messiah God has given you a revelation and now we're going to Jerusalem I'm gonna be killed and Peter says no 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 that's not of God and what did Jesus say to Peter Get there behind me, Satan. <laughs> One minute he's saying, you got a revelation from God. The next minute he's calling him Satan. It's like, whoa. But Jesus said, If anyone, any man will come after me, any person. Let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whosoever will save their life shall lose it. And whoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. This doesn't necessarily mean that we're all going to be martyrs. But are you willing to give stuff up for the kingdom of heaven? If God deals with you, or God tells you, you know what? Get rid of this or give this, give this to so-and-so, give this up, give that up. Set stuff down that distracts you from the kingdom of heaven. Can you say amen? amen. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world? It's impossible for one man to gain the whole world. Can you say Amen. Jesus is using an example. What you put your affections on is going to determine quite a bit the outcome. And he goes on to say, what would it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? What will you give in exchange for your soul? Nobody can save themselves. Only Jesus can save a person. Only Jesus can save a soul. And as far as athletics goes, and exercise and profiting, in Second Timothy chapter two, Paul writes, and he says, if anyone competes in athletics, and he's talking about the Olympic Games and this he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. I read in a commentary years ago that Olympic athletes in that day and age had to take a vow that, Yes, I have been in training. For so many months before the games took place. And if they were found out to be lying, <coughs> it was a death penalty. Can you imagine <laughs> our modern day sports heroes? Say, oh, no, I haven't taken steroids. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and then they do a test and, they're lying there, huh? Okay, well, instead of just their contract being uh, destroyed, <laughs> can you imagine they <coughs> get it? That's it. You're over. <coughs> you're dead. <laughs> Praise God. Maybe that would put the fear of God in some of them. (laughs) Praise God. But but it profits a little. So there is some good in exercising. Exercising self-discipline in uh, your eating uh, and and your daily life. Uh, Maybe even taking a walk for your health or doing anything. Eating right, you know, uh, avoiding things that will uh, be detrimental to your health. It's profitable to do these things. However, godliness is profitable for all things. Now. Everybody say now. Now. Not tomorrow, but now. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Such a profit. What profitability? Anyone that's in business, you're in business to make money. My employer hired me to make him money. Years ago, that was a revelation to me. I thought my employer hired me just to share the wealth, <laughs> and then somebody told me he hired you to make him money. Oh, that made a whole big difference. Godliness, with contentment is great gain. So I looked up this word godliness because Paul uses this word quite a bit in his letter to Timothy. In Vine's expository dictionary of Greek New Testament words, this is the Greek word eusebia. It means to be devout. It means to be warmly devoted in the dictionary, to have a heartfelt or sincere attitude. It also comes, the word devote is related to being devout. means to give or apply attention and time completely to some activity or purpose. Jesus is devoted to you and I. I think that is some one of the most amazing scriptures that Jesus lives forevermore, making intercession for you and I. Isn't that awesome? Jesus is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for me and you. How many get a hold of that? Jesus is interceding for us. He's saying, God, they need help. God, do something. Pour out your spirit here. God, open this door. He's our advocate, our defense lawyer. It's under the blood. It's okay. They're going somewhere. They're in the kingdom. Glory to God. So Jesus is devoted to us. It also means to set apart or to dedicate or to consecrate something. Devotion is synonymous with addiction. Glory to God, what's a wonderful addiction. I remember listening to a a young man. He's a graduate of uh, one of the uh, programs. I believe it's the, um, uh, what's the one that, um, not Youth on Their Own, the one that David Wilkerson started. Teen Challenge. This young man was a graduate of Teen Challenge, and he said, you want to stay saved and clean and live right for God? Get addicted to the Word of God. In the morning when you wake up, look it up, read something, get the Word of God in you. I was riding the bus one day and I had one of them little pocket Bibles and, and I'm reading the Psalms and the lady behind me says, she's getting off the bus, she turns and stops and says, you're getting off to a good start this morning. <laughs> I said, yes I am, praise God. Another synonym for devoted means to be Faithful. God is faithful to us. His faithfulness, the book of Psalms, reaches to the heavens. Hallelujah. And guess what a devotee is? Someone who's devoted to something and synonymous with being a devotee is an enthusiast. The word enthusiasm means to be filled. Basically, it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. Most people don't understand enthusiasm being from God. It's something in your spirit. It actually comes from God, I believe. And it's also synonymous with love. What you love, you will spend time doing. You'll spend money on. You'll give all your attention to what you love. Hallelujah. Praise God. It's good to be addicted to the things of God. Now there's another word here for uh, godliness, and that is another Greek word called Eusebia, which denotes that piety which, characterized by a godward attitude, does that which is well-pleasing to him. In other words, when you get saved, and you apply yourself Godward towards God and godliness, it's going to be a natural thing for you and I to do the things that please God. It should continue to grow and grow in our lives. Yes, I know that this pleases God. I know this doesn't please God. So I'm doing this. Can you say amen? piety is... uh, opposed to false teaching. And in the uh, college dictionary I have, at home, piety means reverence towards God. And this is a good one. Honor and obedience due to parents and superiors. It comes from the Latin word, which means dutifulness, and it's manifested in actions and manner of life. We come to church to get equipped to go out into the world and make a difference wherever we go. Oswald Chambers never wrote any of his uh, sermons down. His wife happened to be a court stenographer. So she's recorded everything he spoke. And he is recorded as saying this, conscious piety or... um, Devotion to God, or doing things that are well-pleasing to God, conscious piety springs from being interested in God. I find it very um, sad that a lot of young people are not interested in God. How many have ever tried to tell somebody about God and they're not interested? They don't want to have anything to do with God. What got me was walking down the street one day, Somebody stopped me on the street and said, hey, has anyone ever told you God loves you? It's like, no. I thought God was mad at me. But when you're interested in God, this is the attitude that springs up. I want to know whether I am right with God. But then he goes on to say, if you are right with God, you are so one with him that you are unconscious of it, so to speak. The relationship with God, when you're right with God, is deeper than consciousness because the very nature of God has been placed within you. Listen to what it says. This is how we know that that's true. The nature of God has been placed within you and I the moment we believed and received Jesus as our Savior. In Peter's second letter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Peter writes these words. He says, Simon Peter. This is the guy that denied Jesus three times. He says, Simon Peter. I am Simon Peter, and I'm a bondservant or slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, and I'm writing to all of you who have obtained the same like precious faith that I have and everyone else who believes by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Salvation is a gift, Remember. He goes on, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you, knowing God and of Jesus our Savior. Verse 3, he says, "His, His divine power has given, it's already done, has given to us all things. We'll go back one slide. All things. There's that same saying. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge or knowing Him who called us by glory and virtue. Verse 4, by which have been given to us, have been given to us already. We have them. We're the possessors exceeding great and precious promises that through these promises you may be partakers of. Of the divine nature now that's not to make us arrogant and say "Hmm, I've got the divine nature in me Isaiah chapter 58 is very clear and says people that tell others you know stay away from me I'm holy are smoke in God's eyes it's like well you know I'm holier than you that's a really bad attitude to have according to God can you say amen and because of all this Ver, chapter uh, chapter 1 verses 5 6 7 and 8 Paul says I'm glad you have faith but here's a few more things you need to discipline your life and exercise your life in you know patience and uh, you can read them all for yourself and study them because uh, we don't have a whole lot of time this morning but look it up when you get home 2nd Peter chapter 1 read the whole thing there so Uh, piety is reverence towards God manifested in actions what was going on is um, according to uh, Merrill Tenney's survey of the New Testament is that the church had matured a little bit and so there was bishops and deacons and elders in the church and uh, these had become you know established there and some people wanted to be in those positions because uh, They thought it would be, you know, uplifting. And they would become eminent. And uh, they would have prestige. I mean, you know, the being a pastor is not that prestigious anymore. <laughs> 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 if, you, if you're paying any attention to social media, uh, Christianity is not that popular in this country, on social media anyway. And... Uh, You know, there's forces at work in our country that are adamantly opposed to godliness. It it doesn't take much to realize this. But I want you to also, great gain and profitability, a very interesting word. How many have ever heard of the name Ophelia? Ophelia is a Greek word. It means to be useful or profitable. It's similar to having an advantage. How many know in business you want to have an advantage over the competition so that you get more business? Can you say amen? It means to prevail. It primarily denotes assistance, which leads to advantage, benefit, and profit. Hallelujah. So we go on. Oh. Didn't realize I had that up there. There's you know, first, second Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Read the rest of it uh, when you get home. And here's this one. Jesus says, here's the profit. Profitability. Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife. And the oldest manuscripts don't have that. You keep your wife. Children or lands for my sake and the gospels, who will not receive a hundredfold. He's saying you will receive more in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions and the age to come, eternal life. Nobody wants the persecutions, you know, (laughs) not willingly or not. We don't go out looking for persecution. Can you say amen? But sometimes it happens. People don't. Want to give up their sin. They're, they're deceived. And who knows why they don't want to be interested in God? Maybe they're happy with the way things are, but there's coming a day. You know, there's a saying that <clears throat> once you hit bottom, there's only one way to look, and that's up. Can you say amen? Only one way to look, and that's up. But God promises us that in the age to come, we'll have eternal life. Are we willing to give Jesus anything he asks for? That's the key, I believe. Are we willing, if Jesus deals with us, hey, you know, here's something. Are we willing to give Jesus anything he asks for? He already gave us his life. Why would we not be willing to give give him everything? Because there's a reward. And in the age to come, eternal life. This is a promise of God. Whosoever believeth on Him shall have eternal life. For God gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him has everlasting life. Excuse me. Glory to God. This is probably going to be one of the shortest messages I've ever preached but I want you to look at this very carefully here. Solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use or exercise have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. How many have ever heard of C.H. Spurgeon? He was a British uh, preacher. Uh, He passed away very early, uh, very young. He was only in his 40s when he passed away. But he began his ministry at the age of 17. He was a preacher and a teacher and a pastor at the age of 17. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine 17-year-old being the pastor up here? Can't even sign a legal contract if you're not even 18. And the pa- he was a pastor, and they had to build this big building because he was such a popular preacher uh, over there in England. That was the thing to do. Go to listen to Spurgeon on Sunday, and then they would print his sermon in the newspaper Monday morning. Pretty popular, Lord of God! Wouldn't that be amazing that they did that here in the United States? Wow! Let's go, let's go to church. <laughs> Praise God! Let's read the sermon. They printed it in the newspaper. I've never seen anybody's sermons printed in the newspapers around here. Well, he had a very interesting. If I can find it here. Here it is. Very interesting take on discernment. Discernment. How many know that in today's society, discernment is discrimination? It's a bad word. You can't discriminate. When I was a kid, having a discriminating palate or a discerning spirit or being a a person of discrimination or discernment, was a good thing. And now things are turned around. So discernment, he said, both good and evil. Remember what the devil told uh, Eve? You will know the knowledge of the fruit of good and evil. What's the difference? If they didn't eat that, we were just no good. But now we have to discern between good and evil so we can choose good over evil. But C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, said, discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. That's a big difference. Well, this is, is this okay? Anybody ever ask another uh, brother or sister, do you think it's okay if I do this or that? (laughs) I remember when I first got saved, (laughs) the pastor was saying, uh, you know, if you have to ask, It's probably not okay. <laughs> he God, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who uh, uh, was a Christian uh, theologian in Nazi Germany who actually was executed for his role in an attempted assassination of Adolf Hitler. He said a feature of a person's responsi- or maturity is responsibility towards other people. He must let himself be controlled or ordered, or restricted. So people, when we, we mature, those who are full age, those who are mature, we should be able to serve others. Can you say amen? But we also want to make sure we know the difference between good and evil. We want to make sure that we know the difference between right and almost right, because it does make a big difference. There's lots of things going on in the world that, you know, they look almost right, but they're not right. So we've got to be careful. Today, September 1st, in the year 1845, Adonaira Judson, who was the first missionary from the United States ever, he had been in Burma, Southeast Asia for years, went through horrible, horrible stuff. His first wife died. Another couple who had gone over there with them, the husband died. Three years later, he married the wife, the widow. And on September 1st, 1845, on their way back to the United States for his wife Sarah's health reasons, she passed into eternity. They were on the island of St. Helena off the coast of Africa, But they had been laboring in Burma, reaching out to a group called the Karen people. And glory to God, the Karen people, I believe it's like 40% of them are still saved today over there, and they're a persecuted people. But I thought that was interesting that here was a man who gave up everything. He left some of his children in Burma while taking his wife back one of the kids died his first wife died his second wife two of their kids died over there before they even left and he gave up a lot but his wife on her deathbed, said, I'm going to see Jesus praise God so we have hope we have a reward waiting for us can you say amen someday we're going to see Jesus face to face someday all of our troubles will be over and we'll be in glory never to leave again we will be able to experience the fullness of the love of god right now we have a taste how many have ever really felt the presence of god in a powerful way i can just imagine multiply that i've felt god touch people when i prayed for them i felt god touch me and i can just imagine Like that song says, I can only imagine what it's going to be like. We have a hope of a reward.